The Senate Commerce Subcommittee on Consumer Protection, Product Safety, and Data Security held testimony from a Facebook whistleblower, Francis Haugen, focusing on the potential harms posed to children by social media platforms. Haugen released tens of thousands of pages of leaked internal documents, which she contends show how Facebook has been negligent toward the harm it causes. The hearing covered Facebook's research into the impacts of its apps on young audiences and its handling of data of children and other users. Good afternoon, Chairman Blumenthal, Ranking Member Blackburn, and members of the subcommittee. Thank you for the opportunity to appear before you. My name is Frances Haugen. I used to work at Facebook. I joined Facebook because I think Facebook has the potential to bring out the best in us. But I'm here today because I believe Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. The company's leadership knows how to make Facebook and Instagram safer, but won't make the necessary changes because they have put their astronomical profits before people. Congressional action is needed. They won't solve this crisis without your help. Yesterday, we saw Facebook get taken off the internet. I don't know why it went down, but I know that for more than five hours, Facebook wasn't used to deepen divides, destabilize democracies, and make young girls and women feel bad about their bodies. It also means that millions of small businesses weren't able to reach potential customers, and countless photos of new babies weren't joyously celebrated by family and friends around the world. I believe in the potential of Facebook. We can have social media we enjoy that connects us without tearing our apart our democracy, putting our children in danger, and sowing ethnic violence around the world. We can do better. I have worked as a product manager at large tech companies since 2006, including Google, Pinterest, Yelp, and Facebook. My job has largely focused on algorithmic products like Google Plus Search and recommendation systems like the one that powers the Facebook newsfeed. Having worked on four different types of social networks, I understand how complex and nuanced these problems are. However, the choices being made inside of Facebook are disastrous for our children, for our public safety, for our privacy, and for our democracy. And that is why we must demand Facebook make changes. During my time at Facebook, first working as the lead product manager for civic misinformation, and later on counter-espionage, I saw Facebook repeatedly encounter conflicts between its own profits and our safety. Facebook consistently resolved these conflicts in favor of its own profits. The result has been more division, more harm, more lies, more threats, and more combat. In some cases, this, this dangerous online talk has led to actual violence that harms and even kills people. This is not simply a matter of certain social media users being angry or unstable, or about one side being radicalized against the other. It is about Facebook choosing to grow at all costs, becoming an almost trillion dollar company by buying its profits with our safety. During my time at Facebook, I came to realize a devastating truth. Almost no one outside of Facebook knows what happens inside of Facebook. The company intentionally hides vital information from the public, from the US government, and from governments around the world. The documents I have provided to Congress prove that Facebook has repeatedly misled the public about what its own research reveals about the safety of children, 
the efficacy of its artificial intelligence systems, and its role in spreading divisive and extreme messages. I came forward because I believe that every human being deserves the dignity of the truth. The severity of this crisis demands that we break out of our previous regulatory frames. Facebook wants to trick you into thinking that privacy protections or changes to Section 230 alone will be sufficient. While important, these will not get to the core of the issue, which is that no one truly understands the destructive choices made by Facebook except Facebook. We can afford nothing less than full transparency. As long as Facebook is operating in the shadows, hiding its research from public scrutiny, it is unaccountable. Until the incentives change, Facebook will not change. Left alone, Facebook will continue to make choices that go against the common good, our common good. When we realized big tobacco was hiding the harms it caused, the government took action. When we figured out cars were safer with seatbelts, the government took action. And when our government learned that opioids were taking lives, the government took action. I implore you to do the same here. Today, Facebook shapes our perception of the world by choosing the information we see. Even those who don't use Facebook are impacted by the majority who do. A company with such frightening influence over so many people, over their deepest thoughts, feelings, and behavior, needs real oversight. But Facebook's closed design means it has no real oversight. Only Facebook knows how it personalizes your feed for you. At other large tech companies like Google, any independent researcher can download from the internet the company's search results and write papers about what they find. And they do. But Facebook hides behind walls that keeps researchers and regulators from understanding the true dynamics of their system. Facebook will tell you privacy means they can't give you data. This is not true. When tobacco companies claimed that filtered cigarettes were safer for consumers, scientists could independently invalidate these marketing messages and confirm that, in fact, they posed a greater threat to human health. The public cannot do the same with Facebook. We are given no other option than to take their marketing messages on blind faith. Not only does the company hide most of its own data, my disclosure has proved that when Facebook is directly asked questions as important as how do you impact the health and safety of our children, they mislead and they, uh, uh, they choose to mislead and misdirect. Facebook has not earned our blind faith. This inability to see into Facebook's actual systems and confirm how they work is communicated and work as com and confirm that they work as communicated is like the Department of Transportation regulating cars by only watching them drive down the highway. Today, no regulator has a menu of solutions for how to fix Facebook, because Facebook didn't want them to know enough about what's causing the problems. Otherwise, they wouldn't, otherwise there wouldn't have been need for a whistleblower. How is the public supposed to assess if Facebook is resolving conflicts of interest in a way that is aligned with the public good if the public has no visibility into how Facebook operates? This must change. Facebook wants you to believe that the problems we're talking about are unsolvable. They want you to believe in false choices. They want you to believe that you must choose between a Facebook full of divisive and extreme content or losing one of the most important values our country was founded upon, free speech. 
that you must choose between public oversight of Facebook's choices and your personal privacy. That to be able to share fun photos of your kids with old friends, you must also be inundated with anger-driven virality. They want you to believe that this is just part of the deal. I am here today to tell you that's not true. These problems are solvable. A safer, free speech respecting, more enjoyable social media is possible. But there's one thing that I hope everyone takes away from these disclosures. It is that Facebook can change, but is clearly not going to do so on its own. My fear is that without action, divisive and extremist behaviors we see today are only the beginning. What we saw in Myanmar and are now seeing in Ethiopia are only the opening chapters of a story so terrifying, no one wants to read the end of it. Congress can change the rules that Facebook plays by and stop the many harms it is now causing. We now know the truth about Facebook's destructive impact. I really appreciate the seriousness which the members of Congress and the Securities and Exchange Commission are approaching these issues. I came forward at great personal risk because I believe we still have time to act. But we must act now. I'm asking you, our elected representatives, to act. Thank you. Has Facebook's research, its own research, ever found that its platforms can have a negative effect on children and teens' mental health or well-being? Many of Facebook's internal research reports indicate that uh, Facebook has a serious negative harm on a non-significant, a, a significant portion of teenagers and, and younger and, and children. And has Facebook ever offered features that it knew had a negative effect on children's and teens' mental health? Facebook knows that its amplification algorithms, things like engagement-based ranking on Instagram, can lead children from very innocuous topics like healthy recipes, I think all of us could eat a little more healthy, um, all the way from just something innocent like healthy recipes to anorexia promoting content over a very short period of time. And has Facebook ever found, again in its research, that kids show sign of addiction on Instagram? Facebook has studied a pattern that they call problematic use, what we might more commonly call addiction. Um, it has a very high bar for what it believes it is. It says you, you, you self-identify that you don't have control over your usage and that it is materially harming your health, your schoolwork, or, or your, your physical health. Five to six percent of 14-year-olds have the self-awareness to admit both those questions. It is likely that far more than five to six percent of 14-year-olds are, 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 are addicted to, to Instagram. Last Thursday, uh, my colleagues and I asked Ms. Davis, who was representing Facebook, about how the decision would be made whether to pause permanently mm. Instagram for kids. And she said, quote, there's no one person who makes a decision like that. We think about it that collaboratively. It's as though she couldn't mention Mark Zuckerberg's name. Isn't he the one who will be making this decision from your experience in the company? Mark holds a very unique role in uh, the tech industry in that he holds uh, over 55% of all the voting shares for Facebook. Um, there are no similarly powerful companies that are as uh, unilaterally controlled. 
Um, and in, in the end, the buck stops with Mark. There is no one currently holding Mark accountable but himself. And Mark Zuckerberg, in effect, is the algorithm designer in chief, correct? Um, uh, I received an MBA from Harvard, and they emphasized to us that we are responsible for the organizations that we build. Um, Mark has built an organization that is very metrics-driven, that is in, it is intended to be flat. There is no unilateral responsibility. The metrics make the decision. Unfortunately, that itself is a decision. And in the end, if he is the CEO and the chairman of Facebook, he is responsible for those decisions. The buck stops with him. It, the buck stops with him. Uh, and speaking of the buck stopping, uh, you have said that Facebook should declare moral bankruptcy. I agree. Yeah. I think uh, it's, its actions and its failure to acknowledge its responsibility indicate moral bankruptcy. There is a cycle occurring inside the company where Facebook has struggled for a long time to recruit and retain the number of employees it needs to tackle the large scope of projects that it has chosen to take on. Facebook is stuck in a cycle where it struggles to, struggles to hire. Um, that causes it to understaff projects, which causes scandals, which then makes it harder to hire. Part of why Facebook needs to come out and say, we did something wrong. We made some choices that we regret is the only way we can move forward and heal Facebook is we first have to admit the truth. Like the way we'll have reconciliation and we can move forward is by first being honest and declaring moral bankruptcy. Being honest and acknowledging that Facebook has caused and aggravated a lot of pain simply make yeah. more money. And it has profited off spreading disinformation and misinformation and sowing hate, Facebook's uh, answers to Facebook's destructive impact always seems to be more Facebook. We need more Facebook, which means more pain and more money for Facebook. Would you agree? I don't think at any point Facebook set out to make a destructive platform. I think it is uh, a challenge of that Facebook has set up an organization where the parts of the organization responsible for growing and expanding the organization are separate and not not regularly cross-pollinated with the parts of the company that focus on the harms that the company is causing. And as a result, regularly, integrity actions, projects that were hard fought by the teams trying to keep us safe, are undone by new growth projects that counteract those same remedies. Um, so I do think it's a thing of there are organizational problems that need oversight, and Facebook needs help in order to move forward to a more healthy place. And whether it's teens bullied into Mm -hmm. suicidal thoughts or the genocide of ethnic minorities in uh, Myanmar or fanning the flames of division within our own country or in Europe, they are ultimately responsible for the immorality of the pain that's caused. Facebook needs to take responsibility for the consequences of its choices. Um, it needs to be willing to accept small trade-offs on profit and I think, I think just that act of being to, able to admit that it's a mixed bag is important. And I think that what we saw from Antigone uh, last week is an example of the kind of behavior we need to support Facebook in growing out of, which is instead of just focusing on all the good they do, admit they have responsibilities to also remedy the harm. But Mark Zuckerberg's new policy is no apologies, 
no admissions, no acknowledgement. So let me, uh, Ms. Haugen, just ask you, uh, we've learned from the information that you've provided that Facebook conducts what's called engagement-based ranking, uh, which you've described as very dangerous. Could you talk more about why engagement-based ranking is dangerous, and do you think Congress should seek to pass legislation like the Filter Bubble Transparency Act that would give users the ability to avoid engagement-based ranking altogether? Facebook is going to say, you don't want to give up engagement-based ranking. You're not going to like Facebook as much if we're not picking out the content for you. That's, that's just not true. There are a lot of, Facebook likes to present things as false choices, like you have to choose between having lots of spam. Like let's say imagine we ordered our feeds by time, like on iMessage or on um, their other forms of, of social media that are chronologically based. They're going to say, you're going to, get you're going to get spammed, like you're not going to enjoy your feed. The reality is that those experiences have a lot of permutations. There are ways that we can make those experiences where computers don't regulate what we see. We together socially regulate what we see. Um, but they don't want us to have that conversation because Facebook knows that when they pick out their co the content that we focus on using computers, we spend more time on their platform, they make more money. Um, the dangers of engagement-based ranking are that Facebook knows that content that elicits an extreme reaction from you is more likely to get a click, a comment, or reshare. And it's interesting because those clicks and comments and reshares aren't even necessarily for your benefit. It's because they know that other people will produce more content if they get the likes and comments and reshares. They prioritize content in your feed so that you will give little hits of dopamine to your friends so they will create more content. And they have run experiments on people, producer side experiments, where they have confirmed this. So yeah. you, you and your um, part of the information you provided the Wall Street Journal, uh, it's been found that Facebook altered its algorithm in an attempt to boost these meaningful social interactions, or MSI. Meaningful. But rather than strengthening bonds uh, between family and friends on the platform, the algorithm instead rewarded more outrage and sensationalism. And, and I think Facebook would say that its algorithms are used to connect individuals with other friends and family that are largely positive. Do you believe that Facebook's algorithms make its platform a better place for most users and should consumers have the option to use Facebook and Instagram without being manipulated by algorithms designed to keep them engaged on that platform? I strongly believe, like I've spent most of my career working on systems like engagement-based ranking. Like when I come to you and say these things, I'm basically damning 10 years of my own work, right? Um, Engagement-based ranking, Facebook says, we can do it safely because we have AI. You know, the, the artificial intelligence will find the bad content that we know our engagement-based ranking is promoting. They've written blog posts on how they know engagement-based ranking is dangerous, but the AI will save us. Facebook's own research says they cannot adequately identify dangerous content, and as a result, those dangerous algorithms that they admit are picking up the, 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 the extreme sentiments, the division, they can't protect us from the harms that they know exist in their own system. And so I, I, I don't think it's just a question of saying, should people have the option of choosing to not be manipulated by their algorithms? I think if we had appropriate oversight, or if we were formed 230 to make Facebook responsible for the consequences of their intentional ranking decisions, I think they would, they would get rid of engagement-based ranking because it is causing um, teenagers to be exposed to more anorexia content. It is pulling families apart. 
And in places like Ethiopia, it's literally fanning ethnic violence. Um, I encourage reform of these platforms, not, not picking and choosing individual ideas, but instead making the platforms themselves safer, less twitchy, less reactive, less viral, because that's how we scalably solve these problems. Thank you. Ms. Chair, I, I would uh, simply say let's, uh, let's get to work. So we got some things we can do here. Thanks. I agree. Thank you. Uh, Senator Schott. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member. Thank you for your uh, courage in coming forward. Was there a particular moment uh, when you came to the conclusion that uh, reform from the inside was impossible and that you decided to be a whistleblower? There was a long series of moments where I became aware that uh, Facebook, when faced with conflicts of interest between its own profits and the, the common good, public safety, that Facebook consistently chose to prioritize its profits. I think the moment which I realized we needed to get help from the outside, that the only way these problems would be solved is by solving them together, not solving them alone, was when civic integrity was dissolved following the 2020 election. It really felt like a betrayal of the promises that Facebook had made to people who had sacrificed a great deal to keep the election safe by basically dissolving our community and integrating it in just other parts of the company. And when I know their, their response is that they've sort of distributed the duties. Yeah. That's an excuse, right? Um, I, I cannot see into the hearts of other men. Uh, and I, I, I don't know what they Well, let me say it this way. <laughs> it won't work, right? And I, I, I can tell you that when I left the company, so my, the people who I worked with were disproportionately, maybe 75% of my pod of seven people. Um, those, are, those are product managers, program managers. Most of them had come from civic integrity. All of us left the inauthentic behavior pod, uh, either for other parts of the company or the, or the company entirely over the same six-week period of time. So six months after the reorganization, we had clearly lost faith that those changes were coming. You said in your opening statement that they know how to make Facebook and Instagram safer. Mm -hmm. So thought experiment. You mm -hmm. are now the chief executive officer and chairman of the company. What changes would you immediately institute? Um, I would immediately establish a policy of how to share information and research from inside the company with appropriate oversight bodies like Congress. I would, I would give proposed legislation to Congress saying, here's what an effective oversight agency would look like. I would actively engage with academics to make sure that, that people who are, who are confirming our Facebook's marketing message is true have the information they need to confirm these things. And I would um, immediately implement the, quote, soft interventions that were identified to protect the 2020 election. So that's things like requiring someone to click on a link before resharing it. Because other companies like Twitter have found that that significantly reduces misinformation. No one is censored by being forced to click on a link before resharing it. Thank you. I want to pivot back to... Uh Instagram's uh, targeting of kids. Um, we all know that they announced a pause, uh, but that reminds me of what they announced uh, when they were going to issue a digital currency, and they got beat up by the U.S. Senate Banking Committee, and they said, never mind, and now they're coming back around hoping that nobody notices that they mm -hmm. are going to try to issue a currency. Now, let's set aside for the moment the sort of the, the business model, which appears to be gobble up everything, do everything, that's the growth, growth strategy. 
Do you believe that they're actually going to discontinue Instagram kids or are they just waiting for the dust to settle? Um, I would be sincerely surprised if they do not continue working on Instagram kids. And I would be amazed if a year from now we don't have this conversation again. Uh, why? Um, Facebook understands that if they want to continue to grow, they have to find new users. They have to make sure that, that the next generation is just as engaged with Instagram as the current one. Um, and the way they'll do that is by making sure that children establish habits before they have good self-regulation. By hooking kids. By hooking kids. I would like to emphasize one of the documents that we sent in on problematic use examined the rates of problematic use by age, and that peaked with 14-year-olds. It's, it's just like cigarettes. Teenagers don't have good self-regulation. They say explicitly, I feel bad when I use Instagram, and yet I can't stop. Um, we need to protect the kids. Uh, just my final question. I have a long list of misstatements, misdirections, and outright lies uh, from the company. I don't have the time to read them, but you're as intimate with all of these deceptions as I am. So I will just jump to the end. Uh, if you were a member of this panel, would you believe what Facebook is saying? I, I would not believe. Uh, Facebook has not earned our right to just have blind trust in them. Trust is, last week, one of the most beautiful things that I heard on the, on the committee was um, uh, trust is earned, and Facebook has not earned our trust. Thank you. Thanks, Senator Schatz. Uh, Senator Moran, uh, and then uh, we've been joined by the chair, Senator Cantwell, she'll be next. We're gonna break at about 11.30, if that's okay, because we mm -hmm. have a vote, okay. um, and then we'll reconvene. Okay. Mr. Chairman, thank you. Uh, the conversation so far reminds me that you and I ought to resolve our differences and uh, introduce legislation. So as Senator Thune said, let's go to work. Our, our differences are very minor, or they seem very minor, in the face of the revelations that we've now seen. So I'm hoping we can move forward, Senator Moran. I, I share that view, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much uh, for your testimony. Uh, what examples do you know? We, we've talked about uh, particularly children, teenage girls in uh, specifically, but what other examples do you know about where Facebook or Instagram knew its decisions would be harmful uh, to its users, but still proceeded uh, with the, with the uh, plan uh, and executed those uh, harmful, uh, uh, that harmful behavior? Facebook's internal research is aware that there are a variety of problems facing children on Instagram that are, um, uh, they know that severe harm is happening to children. For example, in the case of bullying, uh, Facebook knows that Instagram dramatically changes the experience of high school. So when we were in high school, when I was in high school, uh, most kids You have, looked at me and changed your, your yeah. wording. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the, when, when I was in high school, you know, or it, most kids have positive home lives. Like, it doesn't matter how bad it is at school, kids can go home and reset for 16 hours. Kids, kids who are bullied on Instagram, the bullying follows them home. It follows them into their bedrooms. The last thing they see before they go to bed at night is someone being cruel to them. Or the first thing they see in the morning is someone being cruel to them. Kids are learning that their own friends, like people who they care about them, are cruel to them. 
Like think about how that's gonna impact their domestic relationships when they become 20-somethings or 30-somethings to believe that people who care about you are mean to you. Um, Facebook knows that parents today, because they didn't experience these things, they never experienced this addictive experience with a piece of technology, they give their children bad advice. They say things like, why don't you just stop using it? And so that Facebook's own research is aware that children express feelings of loneliness and struggling with these things because they can't even get support from their own parents. I don't understand how Facebook can know all these things and not escalate it to someone like Congress for help and support in navigating these problems. Let me ask the question in a, in a broader way. Besides teenagers or sure. besides girls or besides yeah. youth, yeah. are there other practices at Facebook or Instagram that are known to be harmful but yet oh. are pursued? Um, uh, Facebook is aware that choices it made in establishing like meaningful social, meaningful social interactions, so engagement-based ranking that didn't care if you bullied someone or committed hate speech in the comments, that was meaningful. They know that that change directly changed publishers' behavior, that companies like BuzzFeed wrote in and said, the content is most successful on our platform is some of the content we're most ashamed of. You have a problem with your ranking, and they did nothing. They know that uh, politicians are being forced to take positions they know their own constituents don't like or approve of because those are the ones that get distributed on Facebook. That's a huge, huge negative impact. They all, Facebook also knows that they have admitted in public that engagement-based ranking is dangerous without integrity and security systems, but then not rolled out those integrity and security systems to most of the languages in the world. And that's what causing things like ethnic violence in Ethiopia. Thank you for your answer. Uh, what is the magnitude of Facebook's revenues or profits hmm. that come from uh, the sale of user data? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I've never worked on that. I'm not aware. Thank you. Um, what regulations or legal actions by Congress or by administrative action hmm. do you think would have the most consequence or would be feared most by Facebook, hmm. Instagram, or allied companies? Um, I strongly encourage reforming Section 230 to um, exempt decisions about algorithms, right? So um, modifying 230 around content, I think, has, uh, it's, it's very complicated because uh, user-generated content is something that companies have less control over. They have 100% control over their algorithms. And Facebook should not get a free pass on choices it makes to prioritize growth and virality and reactiveness over public safety, they shouldn't get a free pass on that because they're paying for their profits right now with our safety. So I strongly encourage reform of 230 in that way. I also believe there needs to be a dedicated oversight body because right now the only people in the world who are trained to analyze these experiments, to understand what's happening inside of Facebook, are people who you know, grew up inside of Facebook or Pinterest or another social media company. And there needs to be a regulatory home where someone like me could do a tour of duty after working at a place like this and, and have a place to work on things like regulation, to bring that information out to the oversight boards that, that have the right to, to do oversight. A regulatory agency within the federal government. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chairman. Senator Cantwell. Thank, thank you, you, Mr. Thank Chairman. You, Senator Moran. Thank you for holding this hearing. And I think my colleagues have brought up a lot of important issues. And so I think I just want to continue on that vein. Um, first of all, the Privacy Act that I introduced along with several of my colleagues actually does have FTC oversight of algorithm transparency. 
in some instances, I'd hope you take a look at that and tell us what other areas you think uh, we should add to that level of transparency. But um, clearly that's the, the issue at hand here, I think, in your coming forward. So thank you again for your willingness to do that. Um, the documentation that you say now exists is uh, the level of transparency about what's going on that people haven't been able to see. And so your information that you say has gone up to the highest levels at Facebook is that they purposely knew that their algorithms were continuing to have misinformation and hate information, and that when presented with information about this terminology, uh, you know, downstream MSI, meaningful social information, knowing that it was this choice, you could continue this wrong-headed information, hate information about the Rohingya, or you could continue to get higher click-through rates. And I know you said you don't know about profits, but I'm pretty sure you know that on a page. Yeah. If you click through that next page, I'm pretty sure there's a lot more ad revenue than if you didn't click through. So you're saying that documents exist that at the highest level at Facebook, you had information discussing these two choices and that people chose, even though they knew that it was misinformation and hurtful and maybe even causing people lives, they continued to choose profit. We have submitted documents to Congress outlining um, Mark Zuckerberg was directly presented with a list of, quote, soft interventions. So a hard intervention is like taking a piece of content off Facebook, taking a user off Facebook. Soft interventions are about making slightly different choices to make the platform less viral, less twitchy. Um, Mark was presented with these options and chose to not remove downstream MSI in April of 2020, even though he, in, in, in even just isolated in at-risk countries, that's countries at risk of violence, um, if it had any impact on the overall MSI metric. So he chose- Which in translation means yeah. less money. Yeah, he, he, he said- Right, was there another yeah. reason given why they would do it other than they thought it would really affect their yeah. numbers? Um, I don't know for certain, like Jeff, Jeff Horowitz, the reporter for the Wall Street Journal and I struggled with this. We sat there and read these minutes and we we're like, how is this possible? Like we've just read 100 pages on how downstream MSI expands hate speech, misinformation, violence inciting content, graphic violent content. Why wouldn't you get rid of this? And we, we, the best theory that we've come up with, and I wanna emphasize this is just our interpretation on it, is people's bonuses are tied to MSI. Right, like people, people stay or leave the company based on what they get paid, and like if you hurt MSI, a bunch of people didn't weren't going to get their bonuses. So you're saying yeah. that this practice even still continues today? Like we're still in this environment? I'm personally oh, yeah. Yeah. very frustrated by this because we presented information to Facebook from one of my own constituents in 2018 talking about this issue with the Rohingya, pleading with the company. Yeah. We pleaded with the company, and they continue to not address this issue. Now, you're pointing out that these same algorithms are being used, and they know darn well in Ethiopia that it's causing and inciting violence. And again, they are still today choosing profit over taking this information down. Is that correct? When rioting began in the United States in the summer of last year, they turned off downstream MSI only for when they detected content was health content, which is probably COVID, and um, civic content. But Facebook's own algorithms are bad at finding this content. It's still in the raw form for 80, 90% of, of even that sensitive content. 
In countries where they don't have integrity systems in the language, local language, and in the case of Ethiopia, there are 100 million people in Ethiopia and six languages. Facebook only supports two of those languages for integrity systems. This strategy of focusing on language-specific, content-specific systems, AI to save us, is doomed to fail. How, we, I, I need to get to one of them. First of all, I'm sending a letter to Facebook today. They better not delete any information <laughs> as it relates to the Rohingya, our investigations about how they proceeded on this, particularly on, in light of your information or the documents. But aren't we also now talking about advertising fraud? Aren't you selling something to advertisers that's not really what they're getting? We know about this because of the newspaper issues. We're trying to say that journalism that basically has to meet a different standard, a public interest standard, that basically is out there basically proving every day, or they can be sued. These guys are a social media platform that doesn't have to live with that. And then the consequences, they're telling their advertisers that this was a problem. We see it. We see it. People are coming back to the local journalism because they're like, we want to be against, with a trusted brand. We don't want to be in you know, your website. So I, I think your finding for the F SEC is an interesting one. But I think that we also have to look at what are the other issues here. And one of them is, did, you defraud, did they defraud advertisers and telling them this was the advertising content that you were going to be advertising again, when in reality it was something different. It was based on a different model. We have multiple examples of um, question and answers for the advertising staff, the sales staff, where advertisers say after um, the riots last summer were asked, should we come back to Facebook? Or after the insurrection, like, should we come back to Facebook? Um, and Facebook said in their talking points that they gave to advertisers, we're doing everything in our power to make this safer. Or we take down all the hate speech when we find it. But Facebook's own- And that was not true. That was not true. They get Thank three you. to 5% of hate speech. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks, Senator Cantwell. Um, and if you want to make your letter available to other members of the committee, I'd be glad to join you myself. Thank you. And, thank you. Uh, thank you for suggesting it. Thank you. Um, Senator Lee. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and uh, thank you, Ms. Haugen, uh, for joining us this week. It's uh, very, very helpful. Uh, we're grateful that you're willing to make yourself available. Last week, we had another witness from Facebook, um, Ms. Davis. She came and she testified before this committee, and she focused on, among other things, the extent to which Facebook targets ads to children, including ads that are either sexually suggestive or geared toward adult-themed uh, uh, hmm. products or, or themes in general. Now, I didn't, I, I, well, I appreciated her willingness to be here. I didn't get the clearest answers in response to some of those questions. And so I'm hoping that you can help shed some light on some of those issues related to Facebook's advertising processes here today. As we get into this, I want to first read you a, a quote uh, that I got from, from Ms. Davis uh, last week. Um, here, here's what she said during her questioning. Quote, when we do ads to young people, there are only three things that an advertiser can target around, age, gender, location. We also prohibit certain ads to young people, including weight loss ads. We don't allow tobacco ads at all, uh, meaning to young people. We don't allow them to children. We don't allow them to minors, close quote. Now, since that exchange happened um, last week, uh, there are a, a number of individuals and groups, including a group called the Technology Transparency Project, or TTP, that have indicated that that part of her testimony was inaccurate, that it was false. TDP not noted that um, TDP had conducted an experiment uh, just last month, 
and their, their goal was to run a series of ads that w would be targeted to children ages 13 to 17 to users in the United States. Now, I want to emphasize that TDP didn't end up running these ads. Um, uh, they stopped them from being distributed to, to, to users. But Facebook did, in fact, approve them. And as I understand it, oh, Facebook wow. approved them for an audience of up to 9.1 million users, all of whom were teens. So I, I brought a few of these to show you today. This is, this is the first one I wanted to showcase. This first one uh, has a colorful graphic uh, encouraging kids to, quote, throw a Skittles party like no other, um, which, you know, as the graphic indicates, and as, as the slang jargon uh, also independently suggests, this involves kids getting together randomly to abuse prescription drugs. The second graphic displays an Anna tip. That is a tip specifically designed to encourage and promote anorexia. And um, it's on there. Now, the language, the Anna tip itself independently promotes that. The ad also promotes it insofar as it was suggesting uh, these are images you ought to look at when you need motivation to be more anorexic, I guess you could say. Um, now, the third one invites children to find their partner online and to make a love connection. You look lonely, find your partner now to make a love connection. Now look, it'd be an entirely different kettle of fish if this were targeted to an adult audience. It is not. It's targeted to 13 to 17 year olds. Now, obviously I don't support, and, and TDP does not support these messages particularly when targeted to impressionable children. And, and again, just to be clear, TDP did not end up pushing the ads out after receiving Facebook's approval. But it did, in fact, receive Facebook's approval. Um, so I think this says something. One could argue that it, it proves that Facebook is allowing and, and perhaps facilitating the targeting of harmful adult-themed ads to our nation's children. So could you please explain to me, uh, Ms. Haugen, um, how these ads uh, with a target audience of 13 to 17-year-old children, how would they possibly be approved by Facebook? And is AI involved in that? Hmm. Um, I did not work directly on the ad approval system. Um, uh, what was resonant for me about your testimony is Facebook uh, has a deep focus on scale. So scale is, can we do things very cheaply for a huge number of people, which is part of why they rely on AI so much. It is very possible that none of those ads were seen by a human. And the reality is that we've seen from repeated documents within my disclosures is that Facebook's AI systems only catch a very tiny minority of offending content and best case scenario, in the case of something like hate speech, at most they will ever get 10 to 20%. In the case of children, that means drug paraphernalia ads like that. Uh, it's likely if they rely on computers and not humans, they will also likely never get more than 10 to 20% of those ads. Understood. Mr. Chairman, I've got one minor follow-up question. Would, uh, it should be easy to answer. Can Go I ahead. Um, so while Facebook may, may claim that it only targets ads based on age, gender, and location, mm. even though these things uh, uh, seem to counteract that. But let's set that aside for a minute. 
um, and that they're not facing ads uh, based on specific interest categories. Does Facebook still collect interest category data on teenagers, even if they aren't at that moment targeting ads at teens based on those interest categories? I think it's very important to differentiate between what targeting are advertisers allowed to specify and what targeting Facebook may learn for an ad. Let's imagine you had some text on an ad. It would likely extract out features that it thought was relevant for that ad. For example, um, in the case of something about partying, it would learn partying is a concept. I'm very suspicious that personalized ads are still not being delivered to, to teenagers on Instagram because the algorithms learn correlations. They learn interactions where your party ad may still go to kids interested in partying because Facebook is, prof is, is almost certainly has a ranking model in the background that it says this person wants more party-related content. Interesting. Uh, thank you. That's very helpful. And what that suggests to me is that while they're, they're saying they're not targeting teens with those ads, yeah. the algorithm might do some of that work for them, which might explain why they collect the data, even while claiming that yeah. they're not targeting those ads in that way. I can't speak to whether or not that's the intention, but the reality is it's very, very, very difficult to understand these algorithms today. And uh, over and over and over again, we saw these biases, the algorithms unintentionally learn. And so, yeah, it, it's very hard to disentangle out these factors as long as you have engagement-based ranking. Thank you, Ms. Haugen. Thank you very much, Senator Lee. Uh, Senator uh, Markey. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, very much. Um, thank you, Ms. Haugen. You, you are a 21st century American hero, oh, warning you. our country of the danger for young people, for our democracy and our nation owes you uh, a, just a huge debt of gratitude for the courage you're showing here today, so thank you. Um, Ms. Hogan, um, do you agree that Facebook actively seeks to attract children and teens onto its platforms? And Facebook actively markets to children or markets to children under the age of 18 um, to get on Instagram and definitely uh, targets ch children as young as eight to be on um, in messenger kits. An internal Facebook document from 2020 that you revealed reads, why do we care about tweens? They are a valuable but untapped audience. So Facebook only cares about children to the extent that they are of monetary mm -hmm. uh, value. Uh, last week, Facebook's global head of safety, uh, Antigone uh, Davis, told me that Facebook does not allow targeting of certain harmful content to teens. Ms. Davis stated, we don't allow weight loss ads to be shown to people under the age of 18. Yet, a recent study found that Facebook permitted targeting of teens as young as 13 with ads that showed a young woman's thin waist promoting websites that glorify anorexia. Ms. Hogan, uh, based on your time at Facebook, do you think Facebook is telling the truth? I think Facebook uh, has focused on scale over safety, and it is likely that they are using um, artificial intelligence to try to identify harmful ads without allowing the public oversight to see what is the actual effectiveness of those safety systems. You unearthed uh, Facebook's research about its harm to teens. Did you raise this issue with your supervisors? Um, I did not work directly on um, anything involving teen mental health. Um, this research was freely available to anyone in the company. 
uh, Mr. Davis testified last week, quote, we don't allow tobacco ads at all. We don't allow them um, to children either. We don't allow alcohol ads to minors. However, researchers also found that Facebook does allow targeting of teens with ads on vaping. Uh, Ms. Haugen, based on your time at Facebook, do you think Facebook is telling the truth? Um, I do not have context on that, that issue. Um, I assume that if they are using artificial intelligence to catch those vape ads, unquestionably ads are making its way through. Okay, um, so from my perspective, listening to you and your incredibly courageous uh, revelations time and time again, Facebook says one thing and does another. Time and time again, Facebook fails to abide by the commitments that they had made. Time and time again, Facebook lies about what they are doing. Yesterday, Facebook had a platform outage, but for years it has had a principles outage. Uh, its only real principle is profit. Facebook's platforms are not safe for young people. As you said, Facebook is like big tobacco, enticing young kids with that first cigarette, that first social media account designed to hook kids as users for life. Uh, Ms. Haugen, your whistleblowing shows that Facebook uses harmful features that quantify popularity, push manipulative influencer marketing, amplify harmful content to teens. Uh, and last week in this committee, Facebook wouldn't even commit to not using these features on 10-year-olds. Facebook is built on computer codes yeah. of misconduct. Senator Blumenthal and I have introduced the Kids Internet Design and Safety Act, the Kids Act. Uh, you have asked us to act as a committee. And Facebook has scores of lobbyists in the city right now coming in right after this hearing to tell us we can't act. And they've been successful for a decade mm -hmm. in blocking this committee from acting. So let me ask you a question. The Kids Internet Design and Safety Act, or the Kids Act, here's what the legislation does. It includes outright bans on children's app features that, one, quantify popularity with likes and follower counts, promotes two, uh, that two, promotes influencer marketing, and three, that amplifies uh, uh, toxic posts and that it would prohibit Facebook from using its algorithms to promote toxic posts. Should we pass that legislation? I strongly encourage reforms that push us towards human scale social media and not computer driven social media. Those amplification harms are caused by computers choosing what's important to us, not our friends and family. And I encourage any system that children are exposed to to not use amplification systems. So you agree? that Congress has to enact these special protections for children and teens that stop social media companies from manipulating young users and threatening their well-being to stop using its algorithm uh, to harm kids. You agree with that? I, I do believe Congress must act to pr protect children. And children and teens also need a privacy online bill of rights. I'm the author of the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act of 1998 but it's only for kids under 13 because the industry stopped me wow. from making it age 16 in 1998 because it was already their business model. But we need to update that law for the 21st century. Tell me if this should pass. One, create an online eraser button 
so that young users can tell websites to delete the data they've collected about them. Two, give young teens under the age of 16 and their parents control of their information. And three, ban targeted ads to children. I support all those actions. Thank you. Uh, and, um, and finally, I've also introduced the Algorithmic Justice and Online Platform Transparency Act, which would, one, open the hood on Facebook and big tech's algorithms so we know how Facebook uh, is using our data to decide what content we see, and two, ban discriminatory algorithms mm. that harm vulnerable populations online, like showing employment and housing ads to white people, but not to black people in our country. Should Congress pass that bill? Um, algorithmic bias issues are a major issue for our democracy. Um, during my time at Pinterest, I became very um, uh, aware of the challenges of like I mentioned before, it's difficult for us to understand how these algorithms actually act and perform. Facebook is aware of complaints today by people like African Americans saying that Reels doesn't um, give African Americans the same distribution as white people. And, and until we have transparency and our ability to confirm ourselves that Facebook's marketing messages are true, we will not have a system that is compatible with democracy. And last week, the committee heard directly from Ms. Davis, the global head of safety for Facebook. During the hearing, the company contested their own internal research as if it does not exist. Yes or no, does Facebook have internal research indicating that Instagram harms teens, particularly harming perceptions of body image, which disproportionately affects young women? Yes, Facebook has extensive research on the impacts of its products on teenagers, including young women. Thank you for confirming these reports. Last week, I requested Facebook make the basis of this research, the data set minus any personally identifiable information available to this committee. Do you believe it is important for transparency and safety that Facebook release the basis of this internal research, the core data set, to allow for independent analysis? I believe it is vitally important for our democracy that we establish mechanisms where Facebook's internal research must be disclosed to the public on a regular basis, and that we need to have privacy-sensitive data sets that allow in independent researchers to confirm whether or not Facebook's marketing ma messages are actually true. Beyond this particular research, should Facebook make its internal primary research, not just secondary slide decks of cherry-picked data, but the underlying data public by default? Can this be done in a way that respects user privacy? I believe in collaboration with academics and other researchers that we can develop privacy conscious ways of exposing radically more data that is available today. It is important for our ability to understand how algorithms work, how Facebook shapes the information we get to see that we have these data sets be publicly available for scrutiny. Is Facebook capable of making the right decision here on its own or is regulation needed to create real transparency at Facebook? Until incentives change at Facebook, we should not expect Facebook to change. We need action from Congress. Last week, I asked Ms. Davis about shadow profiles for children on the site, and she answered that no data is ever collected on children under 13 because they are not allowed to make accounts. This tactfully ignores the issue. Mm -hmm. Facebook knows children use their platform. However, instead of seeing this as a problem to be solved, 
Facebook views this as a business opportunity. Um, yes or no, does Facebook conduct research on children under 13, examining the business opportunities of connecting these young children to Facebook's products? I want to emphasize how vital it is that Facebook should have to publish the mechanisms by which it tries to detect these children, because they are on the platform in far greater numbers than anyone is aware. Um, I do believe that, or I am aware that Facebook is doing research on children under the age of 13, and they those studies are included in my disclosure. You have shared your concerns about how senior management at Facebook has continuously prioritized revenue over potential user harm and safety. And I have a few questions on Facebook's decision making. Last week I asked Ms. Davis, quote, has Facebook ever found a change to its platform would potentially inflict harm on users, but Facebook moved forward because the change would also grow users or increase revenue. Ms. Davis said in response, quote, it's not been my experience at all at Facebook. That's just not how we would approach it. Yes or no, has Facebook ever found a feature on its platform harmed its users, but the feature moved forward because it would also grow users or increase revenue? Facebook likes to paint that these issues are really complicated. There are lots of simple issues. For example, requiring someone to click through on a link before you reshare it. That's not a large imposition, but it does decrease growth a tiny little amount because in some countries, uh, reshares make up 35% of all the content that people see. Um, Facebook prioritized that content on the system, the reshares, over the impacts to misinformation, hate speech, or violence incitement. Did these decisions ever come from Mark Zuckerberg directly or from other senior management at Facebook? Um, we have uh, a few choice documents that contain notes from briefings with Mark Zuckerberg where he chose um, metrics defined by Facebook, like meaningful social interactions over changes that would have significantly decreased misinformation, hate speech, and other inciting content. And this is the reference you shared earlier to Ms. Cantwell, April of uh, 2020. Yeah. The soft interventions. Uh, Facebook appeared to be able to count on the silence of its workforce for a long time, even as it knowingly continued practices and policies that continue to cause and amplify harm. Facebook content moderators have called out, quote, a culture of fear and secrecy within the company that prevented them from speaking out. Is there a culture of fear at Facebook around whistleblowing and external accountability? Uh, Facebook has a culture that, that, that um, emphasizes that, uh, that it, insularity is the path forward, that if information is shared with the public, it will just be misunderstood. What impact uh, Facebook's bottom line would it have if the algorithm was changed to promote safety uh, and to, instead of, to change to, to, to save the lives of young women rather than putting them at risk. I'm learning about the talk button. Um, Facebook today uh, has a, a, a profit, is, uh, makes approximately $40 billion a year in profit. A lot of the changes that I'm talking about are, are not going to make uh, Facebook an, an unprofitable company. It just won't be a ludicrously profitable company like it is today. Um, Engagement-based ranking, which causes those amplification problems that leads young women from, you know, innocuous topics like healthy recipes to anorexia content. Um, if it were removed, face people would consume less content on Facebook, but Facebook would still be profitable. And so uh, I, I, I encourage oversight and public scrutiny into how these algorithms work and the consequences of them. I guess the question is, is this level of risk 
appropriate? Uh, or is there a level of risk that would be appropriate? I think there is an opportunity to reframe some of these oversight actions. So when we think of them as these trade-offs of like it's either profitability or safety, I think that's a false choice. And then in reality, the thing I'm asking for is a move from short-termism, which is what Facebook is run under today, right, is being led by metrics and not led by people. And that with appropriate oversight and some of these constraints, it's possible that Facebook could actually be a much more profitable company five or 10 years down the road because it wasn't as toxic, not as many people quit it. But that's one of those counterfactuals that we can't actually test. So regulation might actually make Facebook more profitable over the long term. Right, and that's often the case. I think the yeah. same could be said for automobiles and go down the list exactly. of, of all those things. Yeah. There, there's so much pushback in the beginning. Um, I also thought that the, um, the, the question of, of how do we assess the impact to their bottom line uh, we had a representative of Facebook in here recently who talked about that eight out of 10 uh, Facebook users feel their life is better and that their job is to get to 10 out of 10. Maybe this is the 20% the that they're missing. I don't know how large that the demographic is of, of people that are caught back up into this circuitous, uh, circuitous uh, you know, sense of, of, of really taking them down into a, 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 the wrong direction how many people that is. Do you have any idea? Um, that, that quote last week was really shocking to me because uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the case of cigarettes, uh, only about 10% of people who smoke ever get lung cancer, right? Um, so the idea that 20% you know, of your users could be facing uh, serious mental health issues and that's not a problem is shocking. Um, I also want to emphasize for people that, that eating disorders are serious, right? There are going to be women walking around this planet in 60 years with brittle bones because of choices that, fa that Facebook made around emphasizing profit today. Or there are going to be women when, when they're in 20 years who want to have babies who can't because they're infertile as a result of eating disorders today. They're serious. And I think there's an opportunity here for having public oversight and public involvement, especially in matters that impact children. According to the public reporting on it, Facebook's internal reports found that Instagram makes, quote, body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. And additionally, it showed that, quote, 13% of British users and 6% of American users trace their desire to kill themselves to Instagram. Uh, is that a fair and accurate characterization of what Facebook's research concluded? Um, I only know what I read in the documents that were included in my disclosure. Um, that, is, that is an accurate description of the ones that I have read. Uh, I, because Facebook has not come forward with the total corpus of their known research, I don't know what their other things say. But yes, there is documents that say those things. So we had testimony last week in the Senate with a witness from Facebook who claimed that that, uh, that information was not accurate and needed to be in context. Now, of course, she wasn't willing to provide the, the context, mm -hmm. the alleged mm -hmm. mysterious context. Do you know of any context that would make those data anything other than horrifying and deeply disturbing? Um, Engagement-based ranking and these processes of amplification, uh, they, they impact all users of Facebook. The algorithms are very smart in the sense that they latch on to things that people want to continue to engage with. And unfortunately, in the case of teen girls and things like self-harm, they develop these feedback cycles where children are using Instagram as to self-soothe, but then are exposed to more and more content that makes them hate themselves. 
this is a thing where we can't say 80% of kids are okay. We need to say, how do we save all the kids? The Wall Street Journal reported that Mark Zuckerberg was personally aware of this research. Do you have any information one way or the other as to Mr. Zuckerberg's mm -hmm. awareness of the research? Um, we have a, uh, excuse me, um, one of the documents included in the disclosures it details something called Project Daisy, which is an initiative to remove likes off of Instagram. The internal research showed that removing likes off Instagram is not effective as long as you leave comments on those posts. And yet the research directly presented to Mark Zuckerberg said, we should still pursue this as a feature to launch, even though it's not effective because the government, journalists and academics want us to do this. Like it, it would get us positive points with the public. Um, that, ki that kind of duplicity is why we need to have more transparency and why if we want to have a system that is uh, coherent with democracy, we must have public oversight from Congress. Do you know if Facebook, any of the research it conducted, attempted to quantify how many teenage girls may have taken their lives because of mm. Facebook's products? I am not aware of that research. Do you know if Facebook made any changes when they got back that 13% of British users and 6% of American users traced their desire to kill themselves to Instagram? Do you know if they made any changes in response to that research to try to correct or mitigate that? I found it very surprising that when Antonia Davis was confronted with this research last week, she couldn't enumerate a five-point plan, a 10-point plan of the actions that they took. I also find it shocking that one, once Facebook had this research, it didn't disclose it to the public because this is the kind of thing that should have oversight from Congress. So when you were at Facebook, were there discussions about how to respond to this, this research? Um, I did not work directly on uh, issues concerning children. These are just documents that were freely available in the company, so I am not aware of that. Okay. Uh, do you have thoughts as to what kind of changes Facebook could make mm -hmm. uh, to reduce or eliminate these harms? Mm. Um, you mentioned earlier concerns around free speech. A lot of the things that I advocate for are around changing the mechanisms of amplification, not around picking winners and losers in the marketplace of ideas. The so explain that I, what that means. Oh, sure. Um, so like I mentioned before, you know like how on Twitter, if you have to click through on a link before you reshare it, Small actions like that friction don't require picking good ideas and bad ideas. They just make the platform less twitchy, less reactive. And Facebook's internal research says that each one of those small actions re dramatically reduces misinformation, hate speech, and violence inciting content on the platform. So, and we're, we're running out of time, but, but on the second major topic mm -hmm. of concern of Facebook, which is censorship, based on what you've seen, are you, are you concerned about political censorship at, at Facebook and in big tech? I believe you cannot have a system that uh, has as big an impact on society as Facebook does today with as little transparency as it does. I, I am a strong proponent of chronological ranking, uh, ordering by time with a little bit of spam demotion because I think um, we don't want computers deciding what we focus on. We should have software that is human-scaled, where humans have conversations together, not computers facilitating who we get to hear from. So how could we get more transparency? What would produce mm. that? Um, uh, I strongly encourage the development of some kind of regulatory body that could uh, work with academics, work with researchers, work with other government agencies to uh, synthesize requests for data that are privacy-conscious, this is an area that I'm really passionate about. Um, and because right now, no one can force Facebook to disclose data. 
And Facebook has been stonewalling us, or even worse, they gave inaccurate data to researchers as the scandal recently showed. What data should they turn over? My oh, time's sure. expired, so. Um, uh, for example, um, even data as simple as what integrity systems exist today and how well do they perform? Like, there are lots and lots of people who Facebook is conveying around the world that that Facebook safety systems apply to their language, and those people aren't aware that they're using a, a raw, original dangerous version of Facebook. Just basic actions like transparency would make a huge difference. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Senator Cruz. Senator Loomis. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you for your testimony. Um, if you were in my seat today instead of your seat, what documents or unanswered questions would you seek mm. from Facebook, especially as it relates to children, but even generally speaking? I think any research regarding what Facebook does problematic use, i.e. the addictiveness of the product, is of vital importance. And anything around what Facebook knows about parents' lack of knowledge about the platform. I only know about the documents that I have seen, right? I did not work on teens or ch child safety myself. But in the documents that I read, Facebook articulates the idea that parents today are not aware of how dangerous Instagram is. And they, because they themselves did not live through these experiences, they can't coach their kids on basic safety things. And so at a minimum, Facebook should have to disclose what it knows in that context. Okay, so we're trying to protect individuals' data mm -hmm. that they're gathering, have data privacy, mm -hmm. but have transparency uh, in the manner in which the data is used. Can we bridge that gap? Imagine, um, I, I think we, reasonable people can have a conversation on how many people need to see a piece of content before it's not really private. Like if 100,000 people see something, is it private? If 25,000 people see it, is it private? Just disclosing the most popular content on the platform, including statistics around what factors went into the promotion of that content, would cause radically more transparency than we have today on how Facebook chooses what we get to focus on, how they shape our reality. Okay, if, if our focus is protecting the First Amendment and our mm -hmm. rights to free speech, mm -hmm. while very carefully regulating um, data privacy. Um, I've heard there, there are a number of things that are being discussed in Congress. Everything from um, antitrust laws to uh, calling Facebook a utility to uh, the idea that you just raised of a uh, regulatory board of some sort. Uh, that has authority to, um, through understanding of the algorithms and how they're used and other uh, mechanisms that create what we see, the, f the, the face of Facebook, so to speak. Um, how, t tell me a little more about how you envision that board working. What is the, in your mind, based on your understanding of the company and the ill um, consequences, uh, what is the best approach to bridging the gap between keeping speech free and protecting individual privacy hmm. with regard to data? Hmm. 
Um, so I think those issues are, um, they are independent issues. So we can talk about free speech first, which is um, having more transparency. Like Facebook has solutions today that are not content-based. And I am a strong advocate for non-content-based solutions because those solutions will also then protect the most vulnerable people in the world. In a place like Ethiopia where they speak six languages, if you have something that focuses on good ideas and bad ideas, those systems don't work in diverse places. So investing in non-content-based ways to slow the platform down not only protects our freedom of speech, it protects people's lives. The second question is around privacy. And this question of how can we have oversight and have privacy? Mm -hmm. There is lots and lots of research on how to abstract data sets. So you're not showing people's names. You might not even be showing the content of their post. You might be showing data that is about the content of their post, but not the post itself. There are many ways to structure these data sets that are privacy conscious. And be, the fact that Facebook has walled off the ability to see even basic things about how the platform performs, or in the case of their past academic research, releasing inaccurate data, or not being clear about how they pulled that data, is just part of a pattern of behavior of Facebook hiding behind walls and operating in the shadows. And they have far too much power in our society to be allowed to continue to operate that way. Particularly on the issue of how this is impacting our kids, I think we're going to look back 20 years from now, and all of us are going to be like, what in the hell were we thinking when we recognize the damage that it's done to a generation of kids? Do you agree with that, Ms. Hugan? Uh, when Facebook made statement, has made statements in the past about how much benefit Instagram is providing to kids' mental health, like kids are connecting who were once alone, uh, what I'm so surprised about that is if, if Instagram is such a positive force, what, have, we, have we seen a golden age of teenage mental health in the last 10 years? Yeah. No, we've seen we've escalating. We've seen the opposite, right? We've seen escalating rates of suicide and depression amongst teenagers. And do you think yeah. those rates are at least in part driven by the social media phenomenon? There is a broad swath of research that supports the idea that usage of social media uh, amplifies the risk for these mental health harms. So right now, and this hearing is helping illuminate it, yeah. we are seeing... And Facebook's this, own research shows that. Right? Yeah. Say that again, that's I said, important. And Facebook's own research shows that. Right? That kids are saying, kids are saying, I am unhappy when I use Instagram and I can't stop. That if I leave, I'm afraid I'll be ostracized. Right. And that's, that's so sad. So they know that. That's what their research shows. So what do you think drives them to, I had this discussion with the witness last week, yeah. and I said, well, you know, I think they called it their timeout or stop. I said, but isn't that incompatible with your business model? Because your business model is more time online, more eyeballs online. Isn't that the fundamental elements of their business model? Facebook has had both an, an interesting opportunity and a hard challenge from being a closed system. So they have had the opportunity to hide their problems. And like often people do when they can hide their problems, they get in over their heads. And I think Facebook needs an opportunity to have Congress step in and say, guess what? You don't have to struggle by yourself anymore. You don't have to hide these things from us. You don't have to pretend they're not problems. You can declare moral bankruptcy and we can figure out how to fix these things together. Because we solve problems together, we don't solve them alone. And by moral bankruptcy, one of the things that I appreciate the phrase that the chairman and you've been using is one of those elements which is they know this is a problem, they know it's actually impacting negatively the mental health of the most precious assets we have in America, mm -hmm. our youth, 
our kids, mm -hmm. I have three daughters, mm. um, they know that that is happening and yet the moral bankruptcy from your perspective is the continued, the continuation of this simply because that's how they make money? I, I phrase it slightly differently. We have financial bankruptcy because we value people's lives more than we value money, right? The people get in over their heads and they need a process where they admit they did something wrong, but we have a mechanism where we forgive them and we, we have a way for them to move forward. Facebook is stuck in a feedback loop that they cannot get out of. They have been hiding this information because they feel trapped, right? Like they would, would have come forward if they had solutions to these things. They need to admit they did something wrong and that they need help to solve these problems. And that's what moral bankruptcy is. Let me ask, I'm gonna switch gears yeah. here, and, and this is, uh, you, what's your current position right now in terms of its disinformation and counter espionage? Um, I, my last role at Facebook was in counter espionage. I'm sorry, your last yeah. role, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So one of the things, this is a very different topic, and um, I only got a minute or so left, but right now is Facebook, I know Facebook is not allowed in countries like China, but do they provide platforms for authoritarian or terrorist-based leaders like the Ayatollahs in Iran, that's the largest state sponsor of terrorism in the world, um, or the Taliban, mm. or Xi Jinping, our certain, my view, our biggest rival for this century, a communist party dictator who's trying to export his authoritarian model around the world. Do they provide a platform for those kind of um, leaders who, in my view, clearly don't hold America's interests uh, in mind? Does Facebook provide um, that platform? I, I, during my time working with uh, the Threat Intelligence Org, so yeah. I was a product manager supporting the threat, uh, the counter espionage team, um, my team directly worked on uh, tracking Chinese participation on the platform, surveilling, say, Uyghur populations uh, in places around the world, that you could actually find the Chinese based on them doing these kinds of things. So Facebook, um, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. Um, we also saw um, active participation of, uh, say, the Iran government doing espionage on other um, state actors. Um, so this is definitely a thing that is happening, and I believe Facebook's consistent understaffing of the counter-espionage, information operations, and counter-terrorism teams is a national security issue, and I'm speaking to other parts of Congress about that. So you are saying, in essence, that the, the, the platform, whether Facebook knows it or not, is being utilized by some of our adversaries in a way that helps push and promote their interests at the expense of America's? Yes, Facebook's so very aware that this is happening on the platform. And I believe the fact that Congress doesn't get a report of exactly how many people are working on these things internally is, is unacceptable because you have a right to keep the American people safe. Great, thank you very much. What would you tell parents right now? Uh, what would you advise them about what they can do? Because they need more mm -hmm. tools. Mm -hmm. And some of the proposals that have been mentioned here mm. would give parents more tools to protect their children. Right now, a lot of parents tell me they feel powerless. They need more information. They're way behind their kids and their adeptness online. And they feel that they need to be empowered mm -hmm. in some way to protect their kids in the real world right now in real time. So I offer you that open-ended opportunity to talk to us a little bit about your thoughts. 
very rarely do you have one of these generational shifts where uh, the, the generation that leads, like parents who, 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 who guide their children, have such um, a different set of experiences that they don't have the context to support their children in a safe way. Um, there is an, an active need for um, schools or, or maybe the um, National Institutes of Health to, to make established information where if parents want to learn on how they can support their kids, it should be easy for them to know what is constructive and not constructive. Because Facebook's own research says kids today feel like they are struggling alone with all these issues because their parents can't guide them. And one of the things I'm, I'm saddest when I look on Twitter is when people blame the parents for these problems with Facebook. They say, just take your kid's phone away. And the reality is those issues are a lot more complicated than that. Um, and so uh, we need to support parents because right now, if Facebook won't protect the kids, we at least need to help the parents to protect the kids. If they, parents are anguished. They are. About this issue. Parents are hardly uncaring. They need the tools, they need to be empowered. And I think that the, the major encouragement for reforms is going to come from those parents. And you have pointed out, I think in general, but I'd like you to just confirm for me, uh, this research and the documents containing that research is not only findings and conclusions, it's also recommendations changes. What I hear you saying is that again and again and again, these recommendations were just rejected or disregarded, correct? Uh, there is a pattern of behavior that I saw at Facebook, of Facebook choosing to prioritize its profits over people. And any time that Facebook faced even tiny hits to growth, like 0.1% of sessions, 1% of, of views, that it chose its profits over safety. And you mentioned, I think, bonuses tied to downstream MSIs. Uh, to core MSI, yeah. Could you explain what you meant? Um, so MSI is meaningful social interaction. Uh, Facebook's internal governance is very much based around metrics. So Facebook is incredibly flat to the point where they have the largest open floor plan office in the world. It's a quarter of a mile long in one room, right? They believe in flat. And instead of having internal governance, they have metrics that people try to move. In a world like that, it doesn't matter that we now have multiple years of data saying MSI may be encouraging bad content, might be making spaces where people are, are scared, where they are shown information that puts them at risk. It's so hard to dislodge a, a ruler like that, that uh, a yardstick, that you end up in the situation where because no one is taking leadership, like no one is intentionally designing these systems. It's just many, many people running in parallel, all moving the metric, that these problems get amplified and amplified and amplified, and no one steps in to, to bring the solutions. That's done. Facebook's own research about Instagram contains quotes from kids saying, I feel bad when I use Instagram, but I also feel like I can't stop. Right? I, I know that the more time I spend on this, the worse I feel, but like I just can't, like that they want the next click, they want the next like, they, they, the, the, the dopamine, you know, the little hits all the time. And I, I feel a lot of pain for those kids, right? Like they, they, they say they fear being ostracized if they step away from the platform. 
So imagine you're in this situation, you're in this relationship where every time you open the app, it makes you feel worse, but you also fear isolation if you don't. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity here to make social media that makes kids feel good, not feel bad, and that we have an obligation to our youth to make sure that they're safe online. Thank you. Uh, Senator Young. So can you discuss the short and long-term consequences of body image issues on these platforms, please? The patterns that children establish in their teenage years live with them for the rest of their lives. The way they conceptualize who they are, how they conceptualize how they interact with other people are patterns and habits that they will take with them as they become adults, as they themselves raise children. I'm very scared about the upcoming generation because when you and I interact in person and I say something mean to you and I see you wince or I see you cry, that makes me less likely to do it the next time. Right? That's a feedback cycle. Online kids don't get those cues and they learn to be incredibly cruel to each other and they normalize it. And I'm scared of what will their lives look like where they grow up with the idea that it's okay to be treated badly by people who, who allegedly care about them. That's a scary future. Very scary future. And I see some evidence of, of that as to so many parents um, on, a, on a regular basis. Are, are there other specific issues of significant consequence that the general public may not be fully aware of that are impacting um, vulnerable groups that you, you just like to elevate uh, during this um, testimony? One of the things that's hard, uh, for people who don't look at the data of social networks every day, is of harms or just of usage. That there are these things called power laws. It means that a small number of users are extremely intensely engaged on any given topic, and most people are just lightly engaged. When you look at things like misinformation, Facebook knows that the people who are exposed to the most misinformation are people who are recently widowed, divorced, moved to a new city, um, are isolated in some other way. Um, when I worked on civic misinformation, we discussed the idea of the misinformation burden, like the idea that when people are exposed to ideas that are not true over and over again, it erodes their ability to, to connect with the community at large because they no longer adhere to facts that are consensus reality. Um, the fact that Facebook knows that its most vulnerable users, people who recently widowed, like that they're isolated, that, that the systems that are meant to keep them safe, like demoting misinformation, stop working when people look at 2,000 posts a day, right? And I just, it, it breaks my heart, the idea that, that these rabbit holes would suck people down and then make it hard to connect with others. So Ms. Ms. Haugen, yeah. I desperately want to, uh, which is the American impulse, I want to solve this problem. <laughs> and uh, I, yeah. I very much uh, believe that uh, Congress not only has a role, but has a responsibility to uh, figure this out. I don't pretend to have all the answers. I would value your opinion though, uh, as to whether you believe that breaking up Facebook would solve any of the problems that you've discussed today. Do you think it would? So as an algorithmic specialist, so this is someone who designs algorithmic experiences, I'm actually against the breaking up of Facebook because even looking inside of just Facebook itself, so not even Facebook and Instagram, you see the problems of engagement-based ranking repeat themselves. 
So the problems here are about the design of algorithms of AI and the idea that AI is not intelligent. And if you break up Instagram and Facebook from each other, it's likely, so I used to work on Pinterest. And a thing that we faced from a business model perspective was that advertisers didn't want to learn multiple advertising platforms. That they wanted to learn, they got one platform for Instagram and Facebook and whatever. And learning a second one for Pinterest, Pinterest made radically fewer dollars per user. And what I'm scared of is right now, Facebook is the internet for lots of the world. If you go to Africa, the internet is Facebook. If you split Facebook and Instagram apart, it's likely that most advertising dollars will go to Instagram and Facebook will continue to be this Frankenstein that is altering, like that is endangering lives around the world, only now there won't be money to fund it. And so I think oversight and, uh, oversight and um, finding collaborative solutions with Congress is gonna be key because these systems are gonna continue to exist and be dangerous even if broken up. Thank you. Um, one quick question for you. What's the biggest threat to Facebook's existence? Is mm -hmm. it greed? Is it uh, regulators? Is it becoming uh, extinct or obsolete for teenage users? What is the biggest threat to their existence? I think the fact that Facebook is driven so much by metrics and that these lead to uh, a very heavy emphasis on short-termism, that every little individual decision may seem like it helps with growth, but if it makes it more and more toxic platform that people don't actually enjoy, like when they passed meaningful social, intera meaningful social interactions back in 2018, Facebook's own research said that users said it made it less meaningful, right? I think this aggregated set of short-term decisions endangers Facebook's future. Okay. But sometimes we need to pull it away from business as usual, help it write new rules if we want it to be successful in the future. So they can't see the forest for the trees. Yes, yes. Very well Thank put. you. And I know Senator Klobuchar is waiting, so I'll yield my time back, and I thank you. Thanks, Senator Blackburn. Thank you very much, and thank you to both of you for your leadership. And all three of us are on the Judiciary Committee, so we're also working on a host of other in issues, including um, the App Store issues, um, mm -hmm. which is unrelated to Facebook, actually. Uh, including issues relating to uh, dominant platforms when they promote their own content or engage in exclusionary conduct, which I know is not our topic today. I see the thumbs up from you, Ms. Hogan, which I appreciate. Um, and I think this idea of establishing some rules of the road uh, for these tech platforms um, goes beyond the kid protection that we so dearly need to do. And I just want to make sure you agree with yes, me on that. Totally. Uh, okay. I was shocked when I saw the New York Times story a couple of weeks ago about Facebook using its own platform to promote positive news about itself. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> I exactly. knew you shaped our reality. I wasn't aware it was that much. Right. And that's a lot of the work uh, that we're doing over there. So mm -hmm. I want to get to something Senator Young was talking about, misinformation. And uh, Senator Lujan and I have put together a an exception actually to the 230 immunity when it comes to uh, vaccine misinformation in the middle of a public health crisis. Um, last week, YouTube announced it was swiftly banning all anti-vaccine uh, misinformation. And I've long called on Facebook to take similar steps. They've take, taken some steps, um, but do you think they can remove this content? And 
do that they put sufficient resources. We know the effect of this. We know that over half the people that haven't gotten the vaccines, it's because of something that they've seen on social media. I know the guy, I walked into a cafe and said his mother-in-law wouldn't get a vaccine because she thought a microchip would be planted in her arm. Could you, which is false, I'm just yeah. saying that for the record here, yeah. um, could, in case it gets put on yeah. social media, could you uh, talk about are there, are there enough resources to stop this from happening? Um, I do not believe Facebook ad is cur currently structured, has the capability to stop vaccine misinformation because they are overly reliant on artificial intelligence systems that they themselves say will likely never get more than 10 to 20% of content. There you go. And yet it's a company that, what, the cap yeah. over a trillion dollars, one of the world's biggest companies that we've ever known. And that's what really bothers me here. Uh, Senator Lujan and I also have pointed out um, the issue with content moderators. Does Facebook have enough content moderations for content in Spanish and other languages besides English? Um, one of the things that was disclosed, uh, we, uh, uh, we have we have documentation that shows how much operational investment there was by different languages, and it showed uh, a consistent pattern of underinvestment in languages that are not English. Um, uh, I am deeply concerned about Facebook's ability to operate in a safe way in languages beyond maybe the top 20 in the world. Okay, thank you. Uh, we go back to eating disorders. Today you've said that you have documents indicating Facebook is doing studies on kids under 13, even though technically no kids under 13 are permitted on the platform. Uh, the potential for eating disorder content to be shown to these children raises serious concerns. Senator Blumenthal's been working on this. Mm -hmm. I've long been uh, focused on this eating disorder issue given the mortality rates. Are you aware of studies Facebook has conducted about whether kids under 13, under 13, on the platform are nudged towards content related to eating disorders or unhealthy diet practices? CNN also did investigation mm -hmm. on this front. I have not seen specific studies regarding uh, eating disorders and under the age of 13, but I have seen research that indicates that they are aware that teenagers coach tweens who are on the platform to not reveal too much, to um, not post too often, and that they have categorized that as a myth that you can't be authentic on the platform. And that the marketing team should talk, should try to advertise to teenagers to stop coaching tweens that way. Uh -huh. um, so we, I believe we've shared that document with Congress already. Exactly, well thank you, and we'll be looking more. Speaking of the research issue, um, Facebook has tried to downplay uh, the internal research that was done, saying it was unreliable. Um, it seems to me that they're trying to mislead us there. The research was extensive, surveying hundreds of thousands of people traveling around the world to interview users. In your view, are the uh, internal researchers at Facebook who examine how users are affected by the platform, um, is their work thorough? Um, are they experienced? Is it fair for Facebook to throw them under the bus? Facebook has one of the top ranked research programs in, in, in the tech industry. Like they've invested more in it than, and I, than I believe any other social media platform. Uh, and the, some of the biggest heroes inside the company are the researchers because they are boldly asking real questions and being willing to say awkward truths. Um, the fact, fact that Facebook is throwing them under the bus, I think, is unacceptable. And I just want the researchers to know that I stand with them and that I see them. Or maybe we should say, as the name of one book, The Ugly Truth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about Facebook blocking researchers at NYU from accessing the platform? Does that concern you? These are outside researchers. 
Um, I am deeply concerned. So for context, for those who are not familiar with this research, uh, there are researchers at NYU who, because Facebook uh, does not publish enough data on political advertisements or how they are distributed, these are your advertisements that influence our democracy and how it operates, they created a plugin that allowed people to opt in, to volunteer, to help collect this data collectively, and Facebook lashed out at them and even banned some of their individual accounts. The fact that Facebook is so scared of even basic transparency that it, it goes out of its way to block researchers who are asking awkward questions shows you the need for congressional oversight and why we need to do federal research and federal regulations on this. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Business model that provides most of the, a great deal of the content on Instagram is one where um, people produce content for free. They put it on Instagram for free. No one's charged for it. But many of those content creators have sponsorships from, um, from brands or from other um, affiliate programs. Um, Facebook needs those content creators to continue to make content so that we will view content and in the process view more ads. Um, Facebook uh, provides tools to support influencers who do influencer marketing because it gives them the supply of content that allows them to keep people on the platform, viewing more ads, making more money for them. Yeah, so I am actually the author of the 1990 Children's Television Act. Well, what does that do? Well, it says to all the television networks in America, stop preying upon children. Stop using all of your power in order to try to get young children in our country hooked on the products that are going to be sold. We had to pass a law that banned television stations from doing this. That's why I knew that after my law passed in 1996 to break up the monopolies uh, of the telecommunications industry and allow in the Googles and the Facebooks and all the other companies, uh, you name it, that we would need a child privacy protection there because everyone would just move over to that new venue. Uh, it was pretty obvious. And of course, the industry said, no way we're going to have privacy laws for adults. And they blocked me from putting that on the books in 1996. But at least for children, I got up to age 12. That's all I could get out of uh, the industry. But uh, we also know that uh, as time has moved on, it, they've become even more sophisticated. Uh, so that the Kids Act is necessary to stop children and teen apps from being features such as likes and follower counts that quantify popularity. Uh, Ms. Hogan, can you explain how allowing these features that create an online popularity contest makes Facebook more money? Um. Just to make sure, so I, I am only familiar with issues regarding teens from the, the research I have read of Facebooks. Um, so I want to put that caveat on there. Um, the research I have seen with regard to quantifiable popularity is that as long as comments are allowed, so this is not a quantitative thing, this is just comments, as long as, long as comments are still on posts on Instagram, take, just taking likes off Instagram doesn't fix the social comparison problem that you know, teenage girls are smart, they see that Sally is prettier than them, her pictures are really good, she gets tons of comments, they don't get very many comments, right? Um, and so uh, I do think we need larger interventions than just removing um, quantitative measures. Um, Facebook has a product that is very attractive. Um, the reason why they have the study of problematic use is because it is kind of addictive. 
And those kinds of things, like having lots of little feedback loops, keeps kids engaged. And like I mentioned earlier, part of why Facebook switched over to meaningful social interactions was it found that if you got more likes, more comments, more reshares, you produced more content. And so having those systems of, of um, little rewards makes people produce more content, which means we view more content and we view more ads, which makes them more money. Okay, and uh, the Kids Act that Senator Blumenthal and I are advocating for also um, prohibits amplification of dangerous and violent content to children and teens. Can you explain how algorithms pushing that dangerous content makes Facebook more money? Mm. Uh, I don't think Facebook ever set out to intentionally promote divisive, extreme, polarizing content. I do think, though, that, that they are aware of the side effects of the choices they have made around amplification, and they know that algorithmic-based ranking, so engagement-based ranking, keeps you on their sites longer, you have, long, you have longer sessions, you show up more often, and that makes them more money. So do you believe we have to ban all features that quantify popularity as a starting point in legislation? Um, as, I, as I covered before, the internal research I've seen is that removing things like likes alone, if you don't remove things like comments, uh, doesn't have a huge impact on social comparison. So I do believe we need to have a more integrated um, solution for these issues. Okay. Do, should we ban targeted advertisements to children? I strongly encourage banning and targeted advertisements to children. And we need to have oversight in terms of, I think the algorithms will likely still learn the interests of kids and match ads to those kids, even if the advertiser can't articulate, I want to target on this interest. Right. How much money does Facebook make, make from targeting children? Targeting, I don't know what fraction of their revenue comes from children. Okay, so ultimately children are not commodities. No. They've always been given, historically, special protections. That's what the Children's Television Act of 1990 is all about. They've always been given this special safety zone so that mm -hmm. children can grow up without being preyed upon by marketers. When I was a boy and the salesman would knock on the front door, my mother would just say, tell him I'm not home. Mm -hmm. That man is not getting into our living room. Well, I would say to my mother, but you are home, not to him, she would say. Well, we need to give parents the ability just to say, no one's home for you and your company and your attempts to prey upon children, to get into our living room. Uh, that's you. our moment in history. We have to make sure that we respond to the challenge. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, uh, Senator Markey. And my thanks to Senator Markey for his leadership over many years on protecting children. Uh, as you've heard, he was a champion in the House of Representatives before coming here, well before I was in the United States Senate, but around the time I was elected Attorney General, I've been very pleased and honored to work with him on uh, legislation now going forward, and I join him in thanking you. I have just a few concluding questions, and I seem to be the last one left standing here, so mm -hmm. the good news is I don't think um, we'll have others, but uh, as you may know, um, you do know, my office created an Instagram user identified as a 13-year-old girl. Uh, she followed a few easily identifiable accounts on weight loss, dieting, eating disorders, and she was deluged, literally, within a day of 
content pushed to her by algorithms that, in effect, promoted self-injury and eating disorders. Are you surprised by that fact? I'm, I'm not surprised by that fact. Facebook has internal research where they have done even um, more gentle versions of that experiment, where they have started from things like interest in healthy recipes, so not even extreme dieting. And because of the nature of engagement-based ranking and amplification of interests, that, ver that, that imaginary user was pushed, or that, that real account was pushed towards extreme dieting and pro-anorexia content very rapidly. And that's the algorithm. That's the algorithm. That algorithm could be changed. The algorithm definitely could be changed. I, I have firsthand experience from having worked at Pinterest. Pinterest used to be an application that was heavily based just on you follow certain people's pins, and those are put into your feed. And over time, it grew to be much, much more heavily based on recommendations, that the algorithm would figure out what are you interested in. You can have wonderful experiences that are based on human interactions. So these are human-scale technologies, not computers choosing what we focus on. Lawfare No Bull is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution and Goat Rodeo. You can support Lawfare's suite of podcasts by joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash lawfare. That's www.patreon.com slash lawfare. You should rate and review Lawfare No Bull wherever you found us and you should share us on all the social medias. And as always, thanks for listening.